Hi, and welcome back to Becca Babbles Podcast. I'm your host, Becca. I'm a certified personal trainer, holistic health coach, and future chiropractor on my way to figuring out this thing we called life. Now, let's get babbling. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Becca Babbles Podcast. I'm your host, Becca, and today I just finished a great interview with Kate Brock. She is such a sweet human being. Her smile on the camera, I know you guys can't see it, but her smile was just so big and bright, and you can just tell that she's doing what she loves to do. But I wanted to bring Kate on just because she specializes in PCOS and IBS, and I know I've done a few episodes about PCOS, and I just wanted to get her perspective on PCOS. So you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode. We had a lot of fun talking about body image, PCOS, and all the other little things in between. But Kate Brock is a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist that specializes in disordered eating, PCOS, and IBS. She has a master's of science in nutrition and integrative health and is currently pursuing her doctorate of nutrition at Maryland, the University of Integrative Health. On the podcast, we discuss how digging into body image will help figure out what your real goals are, how Kate's health history fuels her passion for helping clients, why sustainable habits are superior to chasing the number on the scale, common misconceptions around PCOS, why removing foods or food groups will lead to disordered eating, and much, much more. You can find Kate on Instagram at Kate Brock Nutrition, or you can look her up on her website at katebrocknutrition.com. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. I know I sure enjoyed recording it. So sit back, relax, maybe grab a pen and pencil, write down all the yummy notes that you want to write down. And I can't wait to babble with you next time. Hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. I love your little pictures in the background. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm just going to start out with like a few introductory questions, then we'll get right in. So awesome. the first question that I want to ask you is if you opened up a dictionary and you saw your name, how would you be defined? Wow. Um, I think... My friends really describe me as driven. I think that's like a very uh, uh, common word that people use to describe me. I'm very driven. Whatever I decide that I want to do, I do it. Um, mm-hmm. And that has like kind of been the trajectory of my life. I've changed careers. I started my own business. Uh, so very driven. Um, so yeah, that'd probably be number one. Also very passionate. Like I'm very passionate about what I do. And that kind of goes into, you know, being very driven. Yeah, I feel like you have to have both of those to like work with people and like start your own business. So it's good that you have both of those qualities. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is not for everyone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can totally feel that. Mm -hmm. Um, What's a topic that you've been digging into? Like, what are you thinking about? What are you researching? Anything? Oh, man. So I have a lot of clients right now. So I really am focusing on I'm digging into body image a lot. It's coming up a lot with clients. I work with a um, coach that actually she's a therapist and she helps people, um, mostly dietitians with some therapists with body image with clients. And so that's really what I'm digging into now is just more about how to help people with body image. Cause it's definitely so far, you know, it doesn't, we don't get taught, we don't even talk about it in school. Right. So it's like, it comes up and 
kind of freeze. You're like, wait, what, what do I do with this? Like, Oh, take that to your therapist. And then the therapist is like, well, I've never been trained in this. And so they don't really ever get help with it. Yeah. What have you learned from that? Oh, um, I mean, stuff that I kind of knew, but just really how to dig deeper with clients on like, what is it that you really want? Like, you know, with, with weight loss, right? Like, oh, I just want to lose weight, but what do you really want? For some people in larger bodies, it's like, I just want to be accepted. Like I want to be taken seriously at work, you know, and then they can take kind of those deeper things to their therapist, but connecting, you know, their values to what they actually want. Um, breaking down body image just a little bit more. It's not just how you see your body, but how you feel in your body, you know, what does health mean to you, you know, really just helping people connect to who they are as a person and how body image relates to all of that. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. I was actually talking with my therapist the other day, funny enough, um, where I was talking about how I've been really good with like my body image thoughts, but then I recently found myself going back to like old behaviors with eating disorder behaviors or just like thoughts and like body image and being really harsh on my body. And then I realized every time this happens, it's usually when I'm overwhelmed, stressed, and I feel like I'm out of control. And it's like, it always goes back to something else instead of it being the like surface level topic. Yeah. Yeah. So much deeper than that. You know, that's one part of it is like how you feel like you look in your body, but there's so many other parts of it. And people, I don't think we really have talked about that enough. And with diet culture, it's just so hard. I mean, we're constantly being being bombarded with like, this is how you should look, or this is like the it body. And it's hard to move away from that. But, you know, I have clients that still follow people that like promote that stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, step one is just trying to get away from it as much as possible. You know, if you're seeing this stuff every single day, it's definitely going to have a negative impact on how you see yourself. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. There's this podcast that I listened to, and they would point out, like, if you only followed basketball players, like from, um, like, I'm blanking on the name, the NBA, and then you constantly were looking at that, or everyone around you was a basketball player, you'd probably feel like you're really short. But like, not everyone is like 6'4". Yeah. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, going into like, I want to know a little bit more about your story and about you getting your doctorate. Like what made you decide to do that? Yeah. So I love learning. I love education. I love just, I don't know. I have a passion for learning. You know, if I could just do degrees the rest of my life, I would. Uh, (laughs) Very weird. I know. But I really just wanted to dive deeper into some of the clinical things that I learned in my master's and just be able to better serve people. I'm so passionate about really being able to help people on a level that maybe they haven't been able to get before. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a mix of love and of, of learning and getting more education just to help my clients out a little bit more. Have you always been that way where you just loved going to school and learning? No, <laughs> really? Okay. Why yeah, no, only, only in nutrition. So like once I found my passion for nutrition, I spent all of my free time looking up nutrition articles and reading studies and just diving into that. And that's how I knew I was like, no, this is what I need to do with my life. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that trap where they have to take all those like general classes, like gen chem and like, uh, like I love anatomy, but like that the first anatomy class is hard. And it's like, it's so broad that you kind of, 
you you think that you're not good at school when it's like no you just haven't gotten where you're supposed to be yet yeah yeah exactly yeah what does a typical day look like getting your like doctorate i'm really curious so i'm actually currently just took a break um i am planning a wedding so oh yeah so i was like i need some time um i am very much about self-care about not being overwhelmed like my goal in life is just to be as least stressed as possible um so i'm I took a break from that, but when I was getting my doctorate, um, I would just see clients during the day. So I start seeing clients at 10 in the morning and then usually stop around like five or six. And then I would do homework for a couple hours and you know, then just do my little night routine and go to bed. So it was kind of a, it's a lot of, it's a big commitment. It's definitely a big commitment. There's a lot of work. Um, it's not a PhD, so it's a little bit different. So it's a doctorate, which is focused more on clinical things. So we would be applying things to clinical situations versus writing, you know, just like writing a really long thesis or like more of a um, picking one topic and really digging into that. We have classes that are clinical classes and we had to dive into case studies in each of those topics. Okay, because I'm I'm getting my doctorate in chiropractic starting in May. So I was I was really interested. I was like, okay, how did she like plan this whole like do her business thing on the side of getting your doctorate? So that's really cool. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. What what made you decide like I need to take a break? Yeah, I mean, I have just gotten so in tune with my body. I know when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and I know when something has to give. And so my health is not worth it. I have burnt myself out so many times. Um, and I, and I just know like when I hit a point, I have to give up something. And so whatever is not needed at that time is what, what goes. And so I decided to take a break from that until, I don't know, until future, until I feel better and and I'm ready to pick that back up. Yeah. Was that a hard decision for you to make? Yeah. I really like being busy, but I know that it's not great for me so it's kind of a a struggle in my mind which I know a lot of people struggle with like it feels good to be busy and to be accomplished but it doesn't feel good to be burnt out and tired and so you have to balance the two for sure yeah I have to balance the two for sure I feel that like what helps you identify like when you're being burnt out because I know for myself I can totally get that way be completely type a be like just keep producing keep making keep learning like I want to be like the best person I can be but then you don't realize you're harming yourself on the back end yeah um I'll notice it in my relationship like I will definitely be more impatient um or like sleep like I'll have more trouble falling asleep or feeling like there's not enough time in the day I do not like feeling there's not enough time in the day and so I am very deliberate about my schedule and if it starts to feel like there's not enough time in the day that's when I'm like no okay it's time to give something up like I either can't take on any more clients or you know whatever it is so it's taken a lot of practice but just really being in tune with okay this is starting to creep up I'm starting to feel a little burnt out or like it's going to head that direction so we need to make some changes what was it like for you to work through that decision of like I'm giving up my doctorate like I know I feel really like overwhelmed to like give things up but I know it's going to be for the best for me how does that work for you yeah um well my therapist asked me so I've always wanted to get a doctorate like it was kind of a just a goal of mine and she was like how does that currently fit with your goals. 
And I was like, well, I love education. And she's like, okay, well, could you get education other ways that is less stressful right now? And I was like, well, yeah, I could. And she's like, okay. And so I just really thought about how is this aligning with my current goal of not being overwhelmed, of not feeling burnt out, of serving my clients, because that's my number one, you know, as far as um, professional goals, like my number one, my number one thing is to serve my clients. Like I have to show up for my clients and everything else, like the, the education and everything is extra because I have enough information and education to currently serve my clients. Right. So I don't know. I just, it was, it wasn't that hard of a decision to be honest, because I know I'm going to go back to it eventually when the time is right. And I think that I know myself and I know that I'll finish it. Like I don't really just leave things unfinished like that. So it wasn't too, too hard for me. Yeah. It sounds like you knew that you had enough information, but then it was like realizing you don't have to always keep continuing to push that. Yeah. Like you have enough as you are right now. So yeah. it's okay to take a break. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I know I struggled with it when I was a new, you know, a new nutritionist. And I was like, do I know enough? Do I know enough? And my supervisors are always like, you know, enough, you have a master's, like you've done continuing education, you know, enough. And it, it does feel really hard. Um, I also went into my doctorate straight after my master's, like my, I didn't even take a semester off. So I think that was another decision where I was like, maybe I need some time. Yeah. I don't think enough people talk about taking time off of school. Cause it's very much, I know for me, it was like you finish high school, go straight into college. And then even my sister now is talking about going and getting her master's. It's like just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Where it's like, does anyone talk about taking a year off? Should. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel yeah. like it would make it more acceptable in society. <laughs> yeah, I know. One of my, my cousins is about to graduate and she's like, from college and she's like people are already asking me if I'm getting my master's and she's like I haven't even finished my you know my internship or you know her rotation for she's a nurse mm -hmm. and uh, I was like yeah it's crazy it's like when you get married people start asking if you're gonna have a baby you're like whoa hold on <laughs> I just started this one path I'm not there yet yeah. <laughs> it's funny well you obviously have a ton of passion for learning and like helping your clients how did that start for you like what what fuels you to get to that point? Yeah, I think it was my own struggle. I mean, I struggled with my health my whole life, starting from when I was really young. I was in like the hospital all the time. I had so many issues and no one really could help me. They were just like, we don't know what's wrong with you. You're a hypochondriac, you know? And I was like, well, I don't feel good all the time. And, you know, it was like IBS, you know, all of these diagnoses that was like, we really have no idea what's going on. And so when I got out of college, I was like, I do not, I just cannot continue to feel this bad anymore. And so I found paleo and I was like, okay, like, let me try paleo. And it changed my life. Like my stomach issues went away. My anxiety got significantly better. And I was like, oh my God, this is the answer. Like, I'm like going to preach to everyone about how amazing paleo is. Uh, until I, then I found Whole30 which was like even more restrictive. And so that was like, oh yeah, like even more restrictive. Like I'm going to feel even better. And I became super orthorexic. Like I would be, I mean, I would call restaurants and ask them what kind of oil they fried their food or like cook their food in. And if it wasn't olive oil, I wouldn't go to that restaurant. And as you can imagine that eliminated like every restaurant, um, you know, the meat had to be grass fed, the vegetables had to be organic. I mean, it was, 
exhausting and horrible and would not wish it on anyone. But at the time I didn't know that this was disordered. I was just like, no, I'm just being a good, you know, paleo person. Mm -hmm. And I talked about food all the time and I made comments about other people's food and thought everyone should be eating this way. And, you know, just all the really disordered eating patterns that are so destructive. Like my friends at the time, I just feel bad for them. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so once I kind of started eating intuitively, my stomach issues never came back. And so I was like, oh, maybe I didn't need to be so restrictive. Maybe I just needed to be more mindful, you know, and like really pay attention to like how different foods made me feel. And uh, yeah, so I just think that it's easy to get caught up in the restriction piece of it, which I see a lot like, oh, let me just eliminate dairy and gluten and grains. And that may feel good for some time, but you know, the long term, a lot of people aren't able to sustain that or it becomes this really disordered eating pattern and so it's like is that really the best path for most people I don't know and so I help people really determine like what is the best path for you because for some people going gluten-free may be really really helpful but is that the answer for everyone like probably not yeah I especially with the whole gluten thing I feel or even dairy sometimes where people kind of are just like you still eat gluten or you still eat dairy um and that's something that even for myself I'm trying to like figure out does that work for me or not but then I think a lot of people want to have this list so that it seems easy because they don't trust themselves on the inside yes 100% yeah how do you work with like building that self-trust again with your clients Yeah. I mean, intuitive eating is so helpful for that. Really just going through the principles of intuitive eating really help build that self-trust in people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really difficult. I I do because we have been inundated with not things, not to trust ourselves. Like don't trust yourself. Just do this. Just do this. If you just do keto, if you just give up carbs, if you just don't eat dairy, like, I mean, if you followed all the rules, you wouldn't really be eating much at all. And it's exhausting. But when you follow all of these things, you don't even know what, what, I mean, you don't even know how to check in with your body anymore. You're like, you have these rules and there's this long list of rules. And all you're doing is trying to follow these rules and falling short and feeling guilty. And then the guilt takes over and you don't even have time to check in with like, wait, how did that even make me feel? Because you have all these other thoughts in your head. So really just helping people let go of the food rules, you know, tune into their body, hunger and hunger fullness cues, um, when possible, or like eating on a schedule. If that's, if you know, hunger fullness cues aren't, uh, helpful, but really tuning into how they feel before they eat, after they eat, you know, how different foods make them feel and not just one time, right? Like people are like, Oh my gosh, like my gosh, upset stomach when I drank milk, like must be a dairy thing. It's like, well, no, were you stressed? Where you, you know, what else was going on? How many times does this happen? What, let's repeat the experiment, right? So really just tuning into what's going on. Yeah, I like how you say repeat the experiment because I always like taking a perspective of like becoming the scientist of your own life where it's like real scientists, like they have to 
test a hypothesis over and over and over again they don't just do it once because i know when you had said you drink milk and then you get your stomachs upset i was working with a coach a while ago and it was like i was learning how to like wean off of like measuring everything and she had me do that one day and i was eating my lunch and i was like oh my gosh my stomach hurts so bad like i shouldn't have like eaten this much and she's like it was probably because you were stressed i was like oh yeah yeah what was like how did you approach intuitive eating like how did that come into your space what made you realize like hey i should step into this yeah so i did intuitive eating completely intuitively i didn't even know intuitive eating intuitive eating existed um i i kind of just i was tired of being psycho around food really i mean i was just so tired of calling restaurants and feeling stressed. And so the first thing I did was eat Chick-fil-A one day. I was like, I'm just going to go to Chick-fil-A and eat it. And it was really scary. And I got a stomach ache, which of course, it's like, you don't eat any food that is not like perfectly, you know, like vegetables and grilled chicken. Like if you don't eat any of that, your stomach's probably going to hurt the first time. Um, but I just kept with it. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to keep trying foods and see how they make me feel. And yeah. Then I started tuning into my higher fullness cues. I just kind of went through the intuitive eating principles, not even knowing to intuitive eating existed. And I was like, wow, I feel really good. And I didn't feel good at first when I started introducing all these foods. Right. But now I know, like, I don't even like Chick-fil-A. And it's funny because I was obsessed with not eating it for so long. And now I, I know people are going to be like, what is wrong with you? But like, I just don't like it. And so now I'm like, I don't eat it, but not because it's bad, but I just don't even want it. And so I think it's funny that we, you know, restrict these things and we're like, oh my gosh, there's so much stress around them. And then it's like, well, do I even want it? Do I even like it? Is this something that I even want to include in my life or not? And that's really just building trust with yourself and figuring out what fits and what doesn't. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I totally think Chick-fil-A is way overhyped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But for a long time, I was like, but I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh, I really wish I could just go get Chick-fil-A. And now I'm like, definitely would leave it. Yeah, it's crazy what happens when you like actually allow yourself to have the thing you're fantasizing about, because usually what ends up happening is like you're fantasizing about it, but you're making it more of a big thing than what it actually is. Yes, 100%. Why do you think people do that? Um, well, there's so many rules around food, so I think that's part of it you know, if, if something is off limits, it's like, I always tell my clients, if I tell you not to think about something, if I'm like, don't think of an elephant, don't think of an elephant. The only thing you're going to think about is the elephant. And so we're told sugar is so bad. Don't eat sugar. Sugar is so bad. Like don't touch sugar. If you just don't eat sugar, you'll be healthy. And so people are walking around all the time thinking, oh my gosh, if I eat sugar, you know, I'm going to implode. And so of course, when you see a cookie at the coffee shop, all you're thinking is, oh my God, that cookie is terrible. Like I should definitely not eat that cookie. And then what happens? You're probably going to get the cookie. Then you're going to feel bad. You know, it can start a guilt, you know, guilt, shame cycle of, of overeating or binging. So I think it's really just all the rules that we have around food. It actually makes it worse. Like we're not helping by telling people all of these things are super terrible for them when in reality, like we have research that says the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes people have this like misconception. I don't know if you uh, agree, but like that intuitive eating means like you eat 
all the cupcakes in the world when usually like that's going to end up leaving to a stomach ache um so that trusting again going back to that self-trust of like no i will have those veggies because i know that will like actually allow me to have a bowel movement and feel energized Yes, hundred percent. And I think, you know, at the beginning stages of intuitive eating, you may overeat, like you may have more cupcakes than you are ever going to have in one sitting in your life because you've restricted them for so long. And then you realize like, oh, that didn't make me feel good. I think what can happen is when you don't put in the reflection piece of it, then that's where it can kind of lead to long-term of like, I never eat veggies or I never have any you know, lean proteins, because you're not really tapping into how anything makes you feel. I think that's a good point. Because um, some people, if they don't, if you don't realize what you're doing, then you're kind of just being passive about it. Yes. How yeah. do you like help your clients reflect when it comes to food? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. I think one is really just having them check in with themselves before and after meals and just see like, how did that food affect you? Like, did you feel good? Did you feel energized? Did you feel tired? Um, and then how do you want to feel after you eat? You know, is that, is that a goal? Is a goal for you? I don't push intuitive eating on anyone. And I don't push them having to feel good or to be healthy. Like I don't, if my client comes to me and they're like, I just want to release guilt around food and they don't care if their numbers are good or anything like that's not on me to push on them to be like, no, like you have to eat in a way that promotes, you know, good blood work or anything, because that's, I mean, everyone has body autonomy, like whatever they want, they want. But if someone says like, I really want to have energy after, you know, eating, then we say, okay, did that meal make you feel more energized? Yes or no. And if no, like, how can we maybe tweak it a little bit to meet your goal of feeling energized without restriction? That I like the way that you approach that. It kind of like in my head, I just visualize. Um, I used to play Minecraft a lot, and you get these like you have these little boxes where like you pick the tool that you want to use. It's kind of like each meal. It's like okay, this meal is gonna make me feel energized, so I'm gonna pick that meal. But then this meal, okay, probably not gonna make me feel energized. But like, I want to eat this cake at the birthday party because I want to spend time with my friends and family and celebrate. Yes, a hundred percent. And there's times where you're willing to be able, or you're willing to not feel energized, right? So like, if you know the cake is gonna make you feel sleepy, but you're not having to give a presentation at work, like that's a choice that you can make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I it takes away that like good or bad mentality and just more like, what is the, what is the superpower behind this food? Yeah, yeah, like what am I trying to accomplish with this meal? Yeah. So I know you work a lot with uh, clients who deal with PCOS, and I kind of want to dig into that. What are some misconceptions that you find that people have when it comes to PCOS? I would say the number one misconception is that if I just lose weight, my PCOS will go away. Mm. That is, that's probably the most common one that people come to me to. Um, you know, I'll get calls and they'll say, you know, I'm just trying to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, you know, what's going on? And I always try to get curious with people just in case, you know, they want to dive deeper into it. Uh, but people are pretty set on, you know, doctors telling them if you just lose weight, all your symptoms will get better. Yeah. How do you work with clients through that being like, hey, might not be a weight loss issue? Yeah. So I actually don't take on clients who want to lose weight because I don't work with weight loss. And so, um, I'll usually tell people like, Hey, this is how I work with people. I work with people on behavior change. And so, um, 
you know, with PCOS, we look at, you know, depending on what's going on, like, you know, testosterone is high, like how can we bring testosterone down? How can we, you know, manage some of your cortisol symptoms? How can we help you uh, support your insulin resistance and bring that blood sugar down? And so none of it has anything to do with weight at all. And I do find when people lose weight, it's usually because of behaviors. So like people come back and be like, oh, well, I lost weight. And some of my thing, my, you know, some of my numbers went down. It's like, okay, well, what were you doing? Well, I was, you know, walking more and, you know, it's like, okay, it's the same, same approach, different goal. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of just like being aware of what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you're only going for weight loss, then what if you, you know, are you really building sustainable habits? Cause if you're just chasing a number on the scale, then, you know, is seven times working out seven times a week, really going to help you in the long run? Like probably not. Is it going to help you lose weight? Maybe in the short term. Right. So Mm -hmm. I really try to help people build sustainable habits versus just try to chase a number. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that whole, like, once they get there, it's like, what do you do next? Like, once you reach that number, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Well, I mean, with that, if you're, you know, at a caloric deficit or over-exercising or anything like that, like, you have to stay there or else, I mean, then what? Like, then what do you do? And this is a conversation I have so many times with people. It's like, what are you going to do when you get there? Are you going to stay there? Well, most people don't. And then they end up right back to where they started. Yeah. So it's definitely making sure that you have like a long-term approach when it comes to the plan that you're about to go into, which I know you work a lot with, with your clients, which is like great that people are out there doing that. Cause I don't think there's enough people out there actually taking that approach. Yeah. And it's, you know, I turned on a lot of people to work with and I can see, you know, it's not a <laughs> for some people, you know, they're like, okay, well, is that a great business model to like, you know, not work with a lot of, you know, people that, you know, could use the help, but, um, I'm very passionate about not working with intentional weight loss. Like I just don't do it. I don't think it's, I think it's more harmful than good. And I just don't see it as, as a, it's not even a, a desirable result for PCOS. Like that's not, if you just lose weight, like, let's say you do over-exercise and just lose weight. Now your cortisol is probably going to be worse off. Like who knows what your hormones are going to do. And so it's not really a sustainable plan to, to approach anyway. So, yeah. Uh, from a person who came from over-exercising and has PCOS, I highly like, yes, I agree. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> over-exercising does not help or just like exercising way too much in general. Well, before this talk, I know we were talking a bit about like, there's some like weirdness going on about PCOS and IBS. So can you dive into that and what your thoughts are around PCOS right now? Yeah, I've actually seen a lot of people coming to me saying they have PCOS and then they review blood work and they have had, you know, ultrasounds and stuff and they don't really have any, any of the signs of PCOS, like, you know, some of the diagnostics. Yes, they vary a little bit depending on who you talk to because it is a newer, I would say, diagnosis. But it kind of reminds me of an IBS diagnosis now where it's like, well, you have some unexplained weight gain. Um you know, maybe you haven't gotten your period in a couple of months, but you don't have high testosterone. You don't have, you know, any kind of, you know, the, uh, ultrasound is normal and 
your insulin's normal, but like you don't have a period and you've gained weight. So you must have PCOS, but it's like, okay, well, there's other things that can cause that. And so let's dive deeper. And so I have kind of found it's a catch-all. It has become for some people a catch-all diagnosis where they're just like, oh yeah, probably PCOS when they don't really meet the criteria. So it's a little confusing. So what can people do so that they can make sure that like, hey, I actually have PCOS or like, hey, maybe it might be something else so they can be more aware? Yeah. So asking what, I mean, I would really ask like the, if you're seeing OBGYN, like what, what criteria are you using to diagnose me with PCOS? And so they can know, they can have a clear picture of like, okay, is my testosterone high? Am I showing signs of insulin resistance? Was my, did I see anything on ultrasound? So what exactly matches the PCOS diagnosis versus like, are you just not sure what's going on? And you're just giving me a diagnosis to kind of cover your bases and be like, well, I don't know, but it might be this. Yeah. I wish more people would say the words, I don't know, instead of just like putting on a label. Cause then like PCOS is a big deal to like deal with. And like, if you're labeled wrong, then like, that's going to send you down a long path where you're going to probably spend a lot of money on something that's not even what you're dealing with. Yeah. I have a client right now that I was looking through her blood work and I was like, I actually think this is a thyroid issue. And I sent her to an endocrinologist and then endocrinologist was like, yep, like something's going on with your thyroid. And so it wasn't even PCOS. And she was so attached to this PCOS diagnosis. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe we can be a little bit more careful. And when we're diagnosing someone with something and, and being sure, like here are the, the lab markers. And I know that labs are not perfect. I get that. Like, I'm not saying that that's the only way, but I think we do need to be careful because people get pretty attached to diagnoses. Yeah. Why do you think people identify so hard with their diagnosis? Oh, I think part of it is community. Mm -hmm. Like knowing somebody else is struggling with the same thing you are. I think a lot of times people have all these symptoms and when they finally find an answer, it feels relieving. Like, oh, I'm not just making this up or I'm not, you know, it's not all in my head. So I think it can just feel like a little bit of a relief as well. Yeah, because I know there's like 5 million probably Facebook groups that are like dealing with PCOS or like I need help with like PCOS. Um, I find this a lot with like even like in the eating disorder community or like, um, I don't know, honestly, any sort of diagnosis where it's like there's there's always some sort of group and then realizing like, hey, we can leave this group at some point. Yeah. 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 Getting too attached to it can be, you know, I see that a lot with a lot of different things. It's like, well, you don't have to, you know, identify as this or like make it, you know, a main part of your, I guess for some people it's comforting and it can be helpful at first. But like you said, like we can, you can branch out from that. It doesn't have to become like all encompassing. Yeah. It's like your only friends don't have to be your like IBS or PCOS friends. Yes. Well, I know we had talked a bit in like DMs about like the relationship between PCOS and eating disorders. And I wanted your opinion on like how, what is your thought process when it comes to like how eating disorders and PCOS is linked together in some way? Yeah. So I can't remember the exact stat, but there is definitely a increase in eating disorders in the PCOS community. And what I see personally with my clients is there's a lot of rules out there with PCOS. So it's like, you know, 
don't eat gluten because then your gut health will improve and don't eat dairy because then your hormone health will improve and don't eat carbs because then the insulin resistance will improve. And it's like, okay, well, if you take those three things, that's pretty restrictive. And what can happen with that is that you have more food rules and then that can lead to guilt, shame, and then binging. And then this whole cycle of like binge, restrict, shame, binge, restrict, shame. And so I really help people get out of that cycle But, you know, that can really develop into pretty severe either orthorexia if they continue down that path or, you know, binge eating disorder, you know, that can, it can turn into a lot of different things. And so I think it's just the rules around here's how you feel better and it's all restrictive. Yeah, I know for myself when I was diagnosed with PCOS and I, of course, was like doing all the like well, I put quote research, you look up on Google and it's like, oh, you're this type of PCOS or like, here's like the types of foods you should eat or like, here's a weight loss dish for PCOS. And you just get overwhelmed with all this information that I almost found myself. I was like, oh, I need to like backtrack on everything that I've learned as far as like um, my eating disorder and like starting with that, where I just, I felt myself falling back in that trap because you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm told. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it can definitely take you to a a place where you can really develop some really disordered eating Mm -hmm. patterns. And so I really like to use gentle nutrition with PCOS and like how to build a balanced plate, you know, how to incorporate foods that will help you balance your blood sugar more. Um, You know, there's different foods and supplements that help with, with lowering testosterone. So really just coming up with a plan that works for where they're at in their relationship with food. Yeah, it sounds like you're like adding in things instead of taking things away. Yes, 100%. Yeah. What are some things that you usually add in for your clients who have PCOS? So I find that, you know, protein is all the rage right now, which I hate because I love, I do love protein. I love adding in protein, but I also hate that there are, you know, people are like, you need to eat 200 grams of protein a day. I'm like, okay, you know, not that extreme, but yeah, adding in proteins, fats, veggies, you know, with fiber, even fruit, you know, adding in those types of things to really help balance blood sugar is really helpful at first. And then Mm -hmm. kind of fine tuning with, you know, what, what works better. Some people do well with, you know, adding more protein. Some people don't like protein as much. And so we can focus on more fiber or, you know, whatever works for the specific client. Yeah, I think it goes back to like, you're an individual person, like we need to find something that works for you and not just like a checklist robot sort of situation of what to not eat. Yes, 100%. And there are times where I do remove things for clients because we find that it doesn't work for them. But it's not, it's, it's way down the line. And we've tried a lot of other things. And we're like, you know, they're like, you know, I'm really not feeling good when I eat whatever this is. And it may not even be something that is, you know, like gluten or dairy. It might be something else. And we're like, okay, let's try it for a few days. Like, let's see how you feel. And, you know, so it's not that I'm completely against removing anything, depending on the client, of course. But, you know, I found some super random things don't make people feel well. And, you know, but, but it wasn't a, hey, let's do this because I said so. You know, the client came to me and said, hey, I noticed when I do this, I don't feel well. Like, can we try this? So it's more they're leading their health versus like me telling them what to do. Yeah. 
it's it's becoming observant of like what's going on with your body and i i like the approach of like just becoming more like sensitive to your own self instead of what someone else is telling you yeah and then trying to bring it back in at some point and seeing like does this still not feel well like was it the time in my life was it certain things like i don't unless it's a true allergy like our gut microbiome is constantly changing so you know what might work now or what might not work now may work for you in six months. Mm -hmm. I know there's like a lot, I've listened to a lot of people talk about how they had like some autoimmune issue and then they went on an autoimmune protocol and then they got stuck in that because they're like, this is what makes me feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're supposed to reintroduce foods on those to see what feels good. And then people feel so much better that it's kind of like me with paleo, right? Like with paleo, you're not really supposed to reintroduce, but um, you know, you get stuck in it because you're like, oh, this is the only way I'm ever going to feel good. Mm -hmm. Do you think people have to go for like a period of time of, because I know this even happens with like people who go vegan and they like start adding in more fiber and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel amazing. Yeah, and it's like, well, it's probably because you added in more fiber, not the fact that you went vegan. Do you yeah. find that's pretty common? Uh, what do you mean? So like, do you find that it's like common that someone will go on this diet think like it's this magical diet and then um they're like it this is like the next big thing um so i need to stay on this forever when it's actually no it was the what was in the diet that made it so good oh yeah 100 percent. i mean especially with keto people are like oh my gosh i have so much energy and it's like oh yeah well how you know well i'm eating three meals a day um, you know, they're not, they're, they're paying att more attention to what they're eating. They're obviously their blood sugar is going to be more balanced. Right. And it's like, well, you can, you could do all of those things without having to go keto. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that people, like you said, with the vegan or vegetarian, like, oh yeah, when, when you up your fiber and you pay attention to what you're eating and you're more mindful around your food, you're going to feel better. Mm -hmm. It's, I feel like it all goes back to like wanting to identify with something. Yes. Instead of oh just God. being you. 100%. Yes, 100%. Paleo was my personality for a while. Like <laughs> I would talk about the way that I ate so much. I was like, oh, between that and CrossFit, I don't know how anyone was friends with me. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you were a CrossFitter and a Paleo. Okay. Yes. Yes. So it was, it was, it was a rough time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was when any, anytime I saw something that said like Paleo on it, I was like, oh, this must be good. I like have to have this Paleo thing. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. Paleo everything. I remember like seeing like a restaurant and they would like have on the menu like paleo or like Whole30 approved. And I was like, oh, okay. I must have this one even though I want something else. Yeah. Disordered eating at its finest, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, since you started off saying that you ask your clients um, what healthy means to them when you approach them, I wanted to know what does healthy mean to you? So healthy means to me being able to do what I love. So I love to travel and I love spending time with my partner and my friends. And so healthy to me is just having the energy to do those things, to feel free around food and the choices that I make. That is super important to me. Um, and to feel good when I travel because I was chronically sick when I would travel before I would always get sick every single trip. And so Health to me just means feeling good. And, you know, if that 
doesn't mean that my, you know, if my blood work's not perfect, like I'm not obsessed around that anymore. I'm not obsessed around like everything being perfect. You know, it is my blood works all fine, but you know, I think the obsession around like perfect blood work or perfect diet was not serving me. And so for me, it just is having the energy and feeling good to do the things that I love. Yeah. Do you think a lot of, I've never heard of people getting stuck in like perfect blood work before, but do you find people getting stuck with that a lot? Oh my gosh. Yes. So much oh, wow. you know, people coming to me being, you know, wanting more and more and more and more lab work to try to figure out like, how can I make this better? And it's like, well, how do you feel? Or like, well, I feel pretty good, but you know, this one marker was off or like this was off and yeah, really getting stuck in like trying to to be perfect and it's just another way of trying to you know it's just another way of like of disordered thoughts around health mm-hmm. and this like per- this this idea that there's a perfect there's perfect health and it just mm-hmm. doesn't exist well and then it's also like is trying to reach that perfect version of health really perfect if you're not able to do all the things that you want to do exactly and to me it's not you know mm-hmm. and, and I think that's something that, you know, everyone has to, to decide for themselves. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed having you on and having this conversation. There is one last question that I want to ask before we find out where we can find you. And that is, if you could tell your younger self anything, what would you tell her? Um, I think that I am going to be able to like live the life that I want to live and that I'm going to get to do the things that I wanted to do. I was always kind of stuck in, I was a swimmer and I was really good, but I didn't like it. And I was very good at school, but I didn't like it. And so I was really good at a lot of things when I was younger, but I wasn't doing anything that I actually enjoyed. Uh, So I think that that would be part of it. And the other part would be that, you know, my talkative personality is one day going to serve me (laughs) and, you know, all the, the red pins of when I had to put my pin on red and my, all my classes, because I talked too much was going to help me one day. (laughs) I can tell my younger self those two things. (laughs) When you said red pin, I was like, what red pin? And then I remembered those like little gliding scales of like where it was the green and the yellow and the red. That's hilarious. (laughs) My pin was like perpetually on red because they're like, doesn't stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) You should have just done what one of my friends did. She took it and she just moved it. So her, so both of my friends got in trouble and they were on red, but then she took hers and moved hers down. But then she accidentally grabbed my other friend's pen. So my other friend got in trouble for moving her pen down. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So now I talk about eight hours a day, you know, for my job and it's worked out for me. Hey, that's perfect. Speaking of that, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, so I am most active on Instagram at Kate Brock Nutrition. I have a website, katebrocknutrition.com. And those are the two places that can find me. Well, thank you again so much for being on this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. It was super fun. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Becca Babbles podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thing that you can do is leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other listening platform of your choosing. 
If you want to learn more about me, you can do that by following me on Instagram at Becca and Wellness or by checking out my blog, freebies, offers, and newsletter on my website at BeccaAndWellness.com. If you want to share the love of the podcast, you can do that by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media and tagging me and the podcast at Becca and Wellness and using the hashtag Becca Babbles Podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I can't wait to babble with you next time.